We're going to read Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 to 28, which is Christ's letter to the church of Thyatira. So let's begin with that right now, and then we'll talk for a few minutes about it. So let's look at Revelation chapter 2, starting at verse 18. And to the angel of the Lord, uh, the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, The word of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing many servants, my servants, to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Before, behold, I will throw her into a sick bed and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of their works. And I will strike her children dead and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So last week when we were listening to the letter to the church at Pergamum, we heard mention of some Old Testament characters, Balaam and Balak. And what we understood was is that Balaam was commissioned by Balak to throw a curse upon the people of Israel to try to give a full frontal assault against them and take them down before they conquered the Moabite people. And it didn't work. It had no hope of working. But then we heard that later Balaam advised Balak to let the beautiful young women of, Moabite, uh, of the Moabites to infiltrate the camps of the Israelites and eventually undermine the doctrinal standards that God had set for the people through Moses. In the same way, we're hearing today that another underminer is infecting and influencing the body at Thyatira. This is a constant problem for believers, for the people of the church, the body of Christ, for local congregations such as ours. This is a constant problem. We have to keep the faith. We need to let the works of our early days in Christian living exceed 
be exceeded by our latter days in Christian living. In other words, as Jesus said to the church of Thyatira, I'm really pleased with you because you're doing even better now than you did in the beginning. That's what we all want to hear from Jesus. And yet they did have a problem of undermining. Now in the Sunday school class, I talked a lot about undermining, but I would just say that the best definition of undermining is to say that, that whenever a firm foundation, a firm wall is put up to prevent intrusion from outsiders, sometimes the easiest way to get that wall to come down is not by attacking it because it's designed for a frontal attack, rather tunnel underneath it and then pile a, a bunch of sticks and stones under it and light them on fire until they collapse under their corruption uh, by the fire and allow that wall to fall down on itself. See, that's undermining. And that's what happened to the people of Israel that also was happening to the people in Pergamum. They were being undermined by a subtle corruption. It was attempting an easily attained solution to their problems because the false gods would give you immediate gratification, because the false gods would allow you to indulge your flesh in both literal and figurative ways. And this was to the detriment of the people in Israel's time as they wandered in the wilderness, and it's a detriment to the people of Christ's church as we wander through these wilderness, wilderness times. We don't want to look for immediate gratification. We don't want to look for quick fixes to our problems. That's not how our Lord operates. It doesn't require faith to get an immediate fix to your problem. Perhaps you're hoping that we can just develop a vaccine and all take a, a shot in the arm and, and uh, be done with this thing and get back to the life we remember. But faith in Christ isn't like that. Faith in Christ says that you will trust him even when you're not sure where this is going or how it's going to turn out. And it wouldn't require faith if Christ immediately answered all of your questions. If he immediately answered all of your wants and needs, it wouldn't require faith. So the people of Pergamum, the people of Thyatira, there were among them very faithful and devout followers of Christ who trusted him and waited upon him no matter what. Even if it meant suffering, like the people in Smyrna, they waited and trusted. But among them were, I'll say, babes in the faith, people who were young and new to this, not young in years, but young in their Christian living. Let's just clarify that for a second. You can be an 80-year-old babe in the faith, and you can be a 16-year-old very mature Christian, because spiritual maturity does not correlate with physical maturity. It has everything to do with the condition of your heart, which Jesus says he can see with blazing eyes. He never misses what's really going on in your soul. He never misses the condition of your heart. Now, this problem in Thyatira is a lot like what happened to the people of Israel in Moses' time with them in the wilderness. So I want to go back to that for a minute because there is a situation that arose, and you can read about it in the book of Numbers. I hope you've been reading the book of Numbers in your personal study because it'll help you understand wilderness wanderings a lot better. And then if you pay close attention, you can see how the letters to the churches in the book of Revelation correlate completely 
in every way with this wandering in the wilderness with one significant difference that we'll talk about in a minute. But know this, the churches at Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, and Thyatira all had an advocate in the Holy Spirit who, if they would listen, let him who has ears hear. If they would listen, the Holy Spirit would give them the discernment they need to recognize the devils in their midst, the Jezebels, the Balaams, Nicolaitans, and so forth. Now, there was a guy named Korah who led a rebellion against Moses during the wilderness wandering. And you want to guess who Korah and his followers were made up of? People who were embracing the corruption that was coming from within by a diabolical enemy who sought to destroy them from underneath and from within rather than directly in front. Korah led a number of people against Moses and Aaron, claimed that they could receive the same authority from on high, and they could lead the people better and with far less hardship and discomfort. Listen carefully. Korah was leading the people in opposition to Moses and Aaron because they were uncomfortable and they were tired of it. You have to know that the wilderness journey of the Israelites was scary all the time. And it was a little tedious, you know? How many times can you eat manna without getting tired of it? Do you know, Dave Ramsey often says this, that if you eat lobster every day, it'll start to taste like soap. That's something Dave Ramsey always says. And what he's saying is, is if you had the money to buy the most expensive food on earth and eat it every day, you'd eventually get tired of it. So it's really about moderation. And these people were tired of the constancy of God's delivering them food every day of a certain kind. They were tired of the constancy of the same clothing and shoes all the time. They were tired of the constancy of God's judgment when they strayed from the narrow path that he had them on. They didn't understand that they were in boot camp, that they were being trained to take the promised land and to establish a new type of kingdom in the promised land. For them, it was a kingdom of God ruled in his theocratic order in the promised land. For us, it is the kingdom of Christ. And the wilderness times are the places where we have to be conditioned for living in the new kingdom conquer the enemy and to maintain the kingdom. It comes with discipline and discomfort and a certain amount of suffering. And many, like the Israelites, will die in the wilderness and never enter the land of promise. And it may be in this case, in our current times of wilderness wandering, we're not physically going to die, but we're we're going to give up on church because it's not fun anymore, because it's not comfortable anymore. Because the preacher's always talking about harsh disciplines that we have to maintain and live by. This may cause some to go away and not go where we're going. This happened with Korah and those who rebelled against God. Now, I don't mean to suggest that there is a correlation between those who would 
disconnect from Shiloh, let's say, because the pastor's all biblical in his preaching and teaching and everything. But what we do see is, is that whenever God appoints certain people to leadership, there are signs you should be looking for. And sometimes when the wrong people are in leadership, there are counter signs that you can be looking for. In Korah's case, he presented himself and 21 of his elders exactly the same way that Moses and Aaron would present themselves before God. And Moses fell on his face before God and said, oh, what do I do now? You know, these guys don't believe that we've got the authority anymore and they're even prepared to take over. And God says, fine, let them do what they're doing. All will become clear soon. And pretty soon the 21 guys and the 21 censors they held, that's those uh, uh, sort of, uh, uh, they look like lanterns and they burn incense in them. So they were carrying these censors. Uh, they died. They just died. And before long, Korah's rebellion led to the utter destruction of everybody who rebelled against him. Even to the point where a couple of guys, Dathan was one of them, had their whole families and themselves consumed by the earth. The earth literally opened them up and swallowed them. They went directly to Sheol, and that's where they are to this day, presumably. Now, that's what scripture tells us. And what it says is, is that sooner or later, the Jezebels in our midst, which doesn't just refer to a woman, it can also be men. In fact, in my experience has been men quite frequently. But the Jezebels that Jesus is talking about are the Dathans. Sooner or later, all of their machinations, all of their, their conniving, and all of their chicanery is going to end up causing them to be consumed and everyone with them as well. We live in a time of God's crazy and amazing grace, so we don't see exactly the same kind of outcomes now. But a discerning spirit-led mind can recognize all sorts of things going on in our midst that indicate that the church is either giving itself entirely to the authority of Christ or it's being so corrupted from within that they don't even know they're not Christian anymore. If they ever were. And I mean as a denomination, as a congregation as a local entity, however you want to view it, sometimes what we organize around when we start doesn't end up being what we organize around when we get further down the road. And I believe that's happening in churches here in the wilderness times of 2020. We're beginning to see what churches are really about. The thing about this crazy pandemic and all the associated chaos that we're experiencing in our world today is that it makes a lot of things more clear than they were before. We begin to see who the givers and the takers are. We begin to see what people think matters most. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a subject of his kingdom, and as one of his shepherds, I want you to see that he matters most in me. And whatever it cost me, I would speak the truth in love for his name's sake. This is why I want to say to you that there are things you can look for. And I want you to recommend, I want to recommend to you that you read the notes that I emailed to you 
that contain both the study and the sermon because as is typical, I don't always preach what's on the page. I kind of let the Spirit help me out. And there are things in the writing that I think are important to you and I would encourage you to digest them, especially in the conclusion. Because we need to understand that in this Christian family we're part of, there are elders and there are youngsters and people all along the way. And like the church at Thyatira, there are also Jezebels and those who would follow them. Why do people allow themselves to be misled by Satan in the garden or misled by a Jezebel in the church? And it could be a Mr. Jezebel or Miss Jezebel, it doesn't matter. Mrs. Jezebel even, it doesn't matter. Why do they let themselves get misled? More often than not, it's because they're not firm in their faith and they're not listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. More often than not, they are looking for quick answers and easy fixes to the things that trouble them. And these days, we live with such an amazing abundance of technology that we think we can fix everything. And when we really come up against something we can't fix as human beings, then we'll turn to God and immediately God says, I'm on it. I've been on it since before you asked, but you'll have to wait. Because waiting will build your faith and until you have a strong faith in me, I have a feeling you're just as easily misled from me as you were before you came to me. And so he makes us wait. The Lord makes us wait. But then someone like a Jezebel comes along and says, oh, no, 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 if you pray to this God, you'll get the answer you're looking for. And what this Jezebel at Thyatira did, and the actual Jezebel of whom the name speaks, was that they undermined the doctrinal standards of the people that were given to them by God. And remember I said doctrine is boundaries around the, the belief system, and there are religious doctrines and denominational doctrines, but there are fundamental doctrines of Christianity that most all of us hold true, like the nature of Christ, the, the virgin birth, the nature of God the Father and the Trinity and the Holy Spirit, and these are certain things that we pretty much all hold in common, and therefore we can hold to those doctrinal standards and, and have room for flexibility within the walls, but there are people outside the walls who want us to welcome inside the walls all sorts of things that are not doctrinal in the most basic sense of Christian doctrine. And this means that silver-tongued devils, I like to call them. I was in sales for years before I became a pastor. And I used to be embarrassed to tell people I was a salesperson because in my mind, a salesperson was just a silver-tongued devil. What I had to learn was is that a really good salesperson is not a salesperson or a silver-tongued devil, but a teacher whose job is to educate you about what they have to offer and then to help you solve your problems with what they have to offer. The silver-tongued devil is the person who's telling you something that you don't need and it won't do you any good to have it. They're selling you something that makes you feel good for a little while, but they're gone and they are satisfied that they got what they wanted, which was your money, and you got what you thought you wanted, but later on you have no particular need for or use for, and it doesn't enrich your life in any particular way. So when I became a salesperson who was committed to enriching people's lives with what I had to offer, 
it became an honorable profession. And in a sense, for the last 25 years as a pastor, I've been a salesperson who's offering something that enriches your life. But you gotta listen to what I'm offering. You gotta listen for the catch. You gotta listen to see if there's some trick. Because more often than not, if it seems like it will satisfy the flesh for an immediate need, it will not serve in any particular long-term way. Jesus spoke of immorality in the, in the sense of sex, and I will just say that there aren't too many people who don't know that immoral, licentious, uh, frivolous behavior with your body has cost many, many people physical health, it's cost them their dreams, it's cost them all kinds of things. It's destroyed relationships, it's destroyed. Carnal satisfaction is dangerous. And this Jezebel was saying it's perfectly okay in the life of the church. In fact, she was saying that a carnal relationship with her and a nice meal after or before with a certain amount of food that was presented to the gods that she was offering that day were guaranteed that you'd get the answers you were looking for even while Jesus remained silent. It's an abomination when you put it that way, isn't it? It's frightening, isn't it? The people of God are always in danger of being tempted to sin. The people at Thyatira had that distinct advantage of having the Holy Spirit to help them discern the truth when they saw it. In this Christian family, we have elders and we have children. Look to the elders and don't be ashamed to acknowledge that you're a babe in the faith. There's no shame in that. To be new or to be relatively ignorant and unexperienced with the walk with Christ is a wonderful beginning to something that Jesus said in this case of Thyatira would only be exceeded down the road with constant attention to spiritual growth. Look to your elders, and if you want to know how to be sure that you're listening to a trustworthy elder appointed by God to give you instruction and leadership, here's some things you can look for. And in the notes, you'll see scriptural references that take you to these points that I would like to share. Number one, this person will speak truth in love. They won't lie to you. They won't withhold the truth to you, from you. They will tell you the truth, but you will know that what they're saying is being said in love. There will be a sense of compassion and genuine affection for you, a genuine concern for your eternal soul, and the things they will say will be so penetrating in their truth that they'll be hard to resist. Another indication that this person is a spirit-appointed, Christ-appointed leader in your midst is that they will have a certain humility that recognizes that it is Christ through them that you are hearing. They will make you understand and you will come to realize that it is their voice and their flesh you're seeing in front of you, but their voice that you hear is being affected by the Holy Spirit of our Lord. You will hear truth from the Lord given in the Lord's love. If you look to this person and you see that they are uh, 
spirit-led, there will be other signs that you can count on. There will be other indications. There will be verifications. They will, they will make decisions that might be unpopular, but then later on they're absolutely confirmed. See that happening in the wandering of the wilderness people of Moses? How many times did they fight him and then find that he was right in the end? And Moses never said, I told you so. He just said, well, trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. So you will look for verification and you will see it in a spirit-led Christian leader. Signs are, include these but are not limited to these and you will see them being people of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. See, during these wilderness wanderings, it's more important than ever to follow God's appointed leaders and to pull the weeds and try to keep the Jezebels out. This is a hard teaching, but remember, we're in the wilderness boot camp on our way to the promised land. You will find that spiritual leaders are radically flawed, like Moses and David and Peter and Paul were, but they are also radically gifted with the power of the Holy Spirit. And you will find that their flaws, if anything, hurt themselves, but they generally don't hurt the mission and purpose of the Spirit. In other words, God will use a gifted, that is, Holy Spirit-gifted leader to accomplish God's ends, even if, that has, if they, even if that person has some sort of personal struggle that God is calling to them to count over. So, so that you may see, you know, this person that seems entirely human to you, but this person is also being used by God. And if you think that is just an excuse being made by a preacher and a pastor, let me just say, look at your Bible. Virtually every superstar of the Bible was flawed. In fact, it seems that God delighted in using flawed people who were the most unlikely to succeed in that it proved that God was the one who actually was in charge. The greatest gift of these flawed human leaders was that they had complete and total faith in God. And for me, it's total faith in Christ, my King. I hope it's the same for you. Remember that where there is comfort, there is degradation. Where there is chaos, there is the enemy. Where there is strenuous, enriching exercise of body and soul that can often lead to discomfort, there is the Lord. Where there is cosmos and order, there is the Lord. Let us pray. Almighty God, I thank you for your word, and I pray you burn it upon the hearts of your people. Being the flawed vessel that I am, I pray earnestly that you erase from their memories anything that is flawed by my human nature and not from you. Let them rest assured of your word spoken in love. Lord, for all those in our congregation who are sick this day with COVID-19, I pray authentic, miraculous healing in your name where you use all of the brilliance and majestic genius that you have imparted to our medical professionals and all of those who bring health and restoration, we pray that they would be caused to give you glory. We pray, Lord, for those people who have been so troubled and so frightened by all of this 
that they've begun to say and do things that they really don't mean because of their fear. Help them to find peace in you and then in humility to walk in grace. Lord, we pray for our congregation and its body that it might be a light in the wilderness. The people wandered in the wilderness, but wherever you were, there was this power and presence called the pillar of fire and cloud. People knew where your people were, the, 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 the alien in their midst, the, the enemies around them all knew where you were and where your people were because of the light that shone. May we be that in our wilderness. Lord, bless and protect us, we pray, so that we can serve you and glorify you. And to this, all your people say, amen.